0: shame to say that i not over you. There's one thing I need to know, so call me when you're not so busy. Just thinking of yourself. Do you ever It is Nicki Minaj on Cliff Central. What a cool song, Bed of Lies, featuring Skylar. Thanks so much to Gareth Cliff and the team back again on Monday 6 to 9. Hello, welcome to the show. My name is Andrew Levy. It has just gone nine minutes, well, four minutes past nine on Cliff Central on a Friday. Hey, we're talking about Garissa, the attacks that happened in Kenya, and uh, finding out what is the possibility of those attacks happening here on home soil in South Africa, we've got a whole bunch of guests uh, from uh, Kenyans to South Africans to Somalians that have been joining us on the show. Uh, first of all, I wanted to bring bring everyone up to speed. If if you've been uh, hiding under a rock or if you don't know all the details, you've just heard of. The horrific attacks in Garissa, in Kenya. Someone who's been on the ground there is uh, our very own journalist, Deborah Patta, uh, Deborah, CBS correspondent. Good morning to you. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. You've been in Garissa for the last five days. Give us a sense of of what you think caused the the Garissa attacks. I've
1: obviously claimed responsibility for this. Garissa is a university on the border in Garissa between. Kenya and Somalia. And the town itself has frequently been a site for attacks from al-Shabaab, which is a Somali-based militant extremist movement, probably the most brutal of the al-Qaeda franchise. And they've perfected um, something pretty terrible, and that's mass murder on a shoestring budget. This is an organization that has lost its leader It has lost its port, it has lost its land in Somalia, and yet they're still able to cross the border and wreak with only five gunmen the kind of havoc that they did at Garissa University, which they slaughtered 144 students and four more people were killed, and those were four of the gunmen. Perhaps the most horrific thing of all is that this attack was perpetuated by Kenyans. They were not Somali members of um Al-Shabaab, they were Kenyan members, one of them being the son of a government official. And I think that this goes to show the level of recruitment that is underway in Kenya. Al-Shabaab says it is attacking Kenya because they have troops in Somalia. Kenya is part of a regional force that is pushing back Al-Shabaab in Somalia. has been quite successful. So this was a retaliation attack for that, um, they say, in the... Um, when they claimed responsibility for it afterwards. But on a personal level, just seeing this kind of level of brutality 144 students killed um, at the morgue, the smell of death was just overpowering, awash with grief, families streaming in trying to collect bodies, identify bodies. These are students whose parents battled for years to send them to university, finally did, and then this result.
0: It's an interesting point you, you bring up there, Deborah, regarding, you know, families, uh, send, you know, going under a lot of pressure to send their kids to university. It's, it's kind of different from South Africa in a sense where, you know, education is, is highly prioritized in Kenya. It's, it's quite expensive and, and so very, very important for, uh, families to send, and not only families, but I suppose communities to send their, their, their youth to, to these universities.
1: Absolutely, and what they do is that they work. They, you know, people will starve in order to send their kids to university. They will actually sacrifice. The level of um, acceptance at university is incredibly high. So if you don't make it into Nairobi University, then the next level would be to be accepted into Garissa, which is very far from Nairobi. It's a good three hundred kilometers. Um, but these are students from all over Kenya, not just from Garissa. They are there study, to learn, to grow. None of them are actually from the town of Garissa itself. And that's perhaps what makes it even more horrific, that they went there to gain an education. It was a bid by the government to try and integrate the north with the south, um, because there's a huge divide where you'd have a richer south and a more impoverished northern part. They went there and they paid dearly for it with their lives.
0: One of the big questions that, that that I now have is is what happens to the the students who survived? I mean, you've gone through these horrific horrific events in the last few days, um, not only the attacks but then the aftermath of that where they were like kept in tents for two days uh, because obviously it became a crime scene. What happens to these guys? Does Garissa close down? Is it is it work as normal or studies as normal? How do you go on from from 148 of your peers? Uh, passing away
1: i can't see the university continuing a lot of the students said to me that they won't go back they're not prepared to go back i spoke to one girl who hid under a bed for 13 hours and listened to her friends being gunned down al-shabab separated muslims from christians If you couldn't the Quran. you were executed on the spot sometimes their throats were split one horrific incident a mother phoned her child to see how he was this hearing news of this attack and the killer said speak to your mother Grabbed the phone and said to the mother, That's the last time you'll speak to each child alive. Listen to us as we kill her now. Mm. That part is a repeat.
0: Deborah, we seem to be losing you there. Uh, hopefully, we can get you back on the line. If you've just joined us on com, it's nine minutes past nine. We're speaking about the Gorissa attacks and whether or not uh, these attacks could actually happen in South Africa. Deborah, just a, a final word from you. Uh, is you know you've been you've been chasing terrorist groups, like journalists in the early '90s chase wars in Africa. In your mind, oh, we've just lost her. I wanted to ask her in her mind, what is uh, the most unstable area, and, and how is South Africa affected? We'll try and get her back on the line. Um, but yeah, we want to hear from you as well. Oh eight six one five 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 one eight nine. I mean, have you given any thought to South Africa potentially being at risk? Uh, from these attacks, there are said to be cells in uh, the Western Cape, funny enough, and uh, here in Johannesburg, places that you, you wouldn't think are al-Shabaab or, or Boko Haram friendly that are right here on our doorsteps. We've just uh, heard from Deborah about the horrific scenes that uh, she encountered while in Kenya. This has got to be a, a huge blow for the the Kenyan people, the Kenyan government, as uh, as investment now questions whether it flows in or out hopefully we've got deborah back the line deborah very quickly i know you you're running around you've been chasing terrorist groups like journalists in the early 90s chase wars in africa in your mind right now what is the most unstable area in africa regarding these terrorist groups i'm
1: sorry i missed that what is the most what area
0: Unstable area. Is it, is it, you know, or, or what is the, the scariest for you? Is it Al-Shabaab? Is it Boko Haram? Uh, are we, are we afraid of ISIS? What is the... I
1: think we, I think we're worried about both, both Boko Haram and Al-Shabaab. We have them on the east and the west of Africa. The borders are extremely unstable. Boko Haram has killed 10,000 in the last year alone. Al-Shabaab left, but it's very brutal. And these are the things that we have to worry about now in the region. Um, the fact that Boko Haram pledged allegiance to ISIS and then the fact that Al Shabaab and then the fact that Al Shabaab um, has now pledged allegiance to Al Qaeda means that they're part of the two biggest franchises um, when it comes to terror in the world. And this is the kind of extremist movement that we're seeing. In some senses Al Shabaab was perhaps a bid for recruitment. Let us show you how awful we are mm. so that we can encourage you to join us. We saw the other day a young fifteen year old kid from Cape Town Try to board a border plane to join ISIS these are organizations that are recruiting through social media and very effectively and they don't talk about killing when they recruit it's, this is paradise this is utopia come and join us
0: deborah very quickly before you go concerned about south africa are there are there you know are we next on on the agenda could it be vits or uct are there cells of uh, al Shabaab or bokoram in south africa how worried should we be
1: Let's not get, you know, overly fearful. I don't think South Africa is about to be attacked by a terrorist organization. (laughs) I think what organizations want from this country is our infrastructure and our technology and the fact that they are able to recruit. I mean, it was worrying that there were people driving around with an ISIS flag in the Mayfair area the other day. But I don't, you know, I think that whilst the government is on the watch working underground to check out if there are any cells, South Africa has primarily been the route through which money has come through. Technology and recruitment so far. So I don't think we're at risk yet, and it's up to our government and our intelligence to keep our borders safe.
0: Deborah Patsa, CBS uh, journalist, thank you so much uh, for joining us, and we wish you all the best, and uh, hopefully you won't be reporting on a terrorist attack anytime soon. Uh, so we're speaking about terrorism in uh, in on the African continent, specifically Garissa attacks. Uh, we've just heard from Deborah Patter. she's been in Garissa for the last uh, week or so. Uh, we're going to talk about what is the likeliness of this happening in South Africa. What are are there groups available? We heard that uh, the money is flowing from South Africa, but are people wanting in? And trying to radicalize our youth here in South Africa On cliffcentral.com It's Andrew Levy, welcome to the show It's just gone quarter past nine We obviously want to hear your thoughts At Yebo underscore L-E-V-Y Or also on WeChat cliffcentral.com And 0861-555-189 Have you been radicalized? James Bay, Hold Back the River, what a cool song for a Friday. It's cliffcentral.com, my name is Andrew Levy, if you've just joined us, welcome to the show we're speaking about the Garissa attacks that happened in Kenya and whether or not South Africa is at any kind of risk to these kind of terrorist operations. A lot of people are replying on Twitter, uh, Black Muscle says, we're not ready for such attacks, this could be a huge problem. Josie South Africa says why so much distrust among South Africans and uh, General Savimbi says, Ah, oh, come on really, is there any real form of terrorism happening in South Africa? There's no ways it's going to happen. Keep your comments coming at Yebo underscore Levy. We're going to be putting a whole bunch of articles as well on Twitter, so you can follow us there. We're chatting now to a incredibly interesting woman, Annelie Boeta. She's from the Institute for Strategic Studies. She joins us now on the line from Pretoria. Annelie, good morning to you. Good morning, Andrew. Nice to have you on the show. Just tell us a little bit about what the Institute for Strategic Studies does and what your specific role is.
2: Well, we are a think tank, and we basically have offices around the continent, in Nairobi, Addis Ababa, Dakar, and, of course, South Africa. And we focus on, on a range of issues that have an impact on human security, and terrorism is one of them.
0: Now, you, uh, are an incredibly brave woman. Uh, you're one of the only people that went through, uh, to, to the northern parts of Kenya and actually spoke to Al-Shabaab members. Is that correct?
2: That is, co- that is correct. I, have I've done my, my PhD thesis on it, um, in terms of Kenya as well as Uganda. And Uganda is focusing on the LRA and the ADF. So it's basically a comparison between, between four organizations in terms of understanding how people are being radicalized.
0: Now, the, the the one interesting thing we we heard uh, from the Daily Maverick show uh, earlier this week was that a lot of people joining Al Shabaab at the moment is a direct result of the counter-terrorism movement uh, from the Kenyan government. Would you agree with that?
2: I would say that there's a different number of factors, and I think that there's not one single one single trigger. But the research has found. That roughly 65% of people I've interviewed, um, basically that, that was the final trigger. That was the the way the state responded to to them. The question of being arrested themselves, uh, currently being arrested, um, imams or religious leaders being being killed. That was in in 65% of cases the final push uh, in joining, uh, especially Al Shabaab in 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 Kenya.
0: I mean, the, the interesting thing is, and, and maybe you can give us a little bit of a history lesson here, Al-Shabaab, they, they were part of the government in Somalia uh, late 90s, early 2000s, and, and, and then came out of that and returned to to their ways. What, what is Al-Shabaab's like, modus operandi here? What do they want to achieve? Well, Al-Shabaab
2: starts off as, as being based in Somalia and they have a clear Somali agenda in terms of establishing their form of government. But over the years, um, I think it really became a more transnational organization. Uh, for example, the attacks in, in Uganda in 2010, okay, it was basically as a result of Ugandan troops in Somalia. And again, in the case of the Kenyan attacks also, the question of intimidate, intimidating the Kenyan government to withdraw from Somalia. But it showed that it started to get a, a bigger foothold in the region. I would say that it definitely had a following, a very strong following, in Kenya as well as in in Tanzania, even further south. So the question is that what is really triggering people to join an organization uh, in Kenya or in Tanzania that is basically focusing on, on only Somalia. So it is definitely one of those interesting phenomena that one need to start to focus on. And basically the reason for that is that no single domestic organisation will, will remain domestic. Uh, they will always, and you find through history, that they will always start to, start to spread um, their, their reach within the region for a number of reasons. Uh, if you look at, at especially the number of foreign fighters, uh, especially in Somalia, it is interesting that, that the majority of of people are coming from, from Kenya, especially from the, on the high ranking side within the organization. Uh, so it, it definitely, in answering your questions, yes, it, it starts off as being linked um, in Somalia with a clear political agenda, and it still has a political agenda. But I think it also uh, evolved into something different. It moved from an insurgency to more terrorist organization, and that is quite important to understand.
0: What I find fascinating about Al-Shabaab specifically is is doing a bit of reading over the last few days. We see that they have a very different kind of discourse in Somalia uh, where they're very, very right-wing, I would say, uh, compared to in Kenya where they're trying to attract, I suppose, more of the Muslim community.
2: Yeah, I mean, in, in, even in terms of Somalia, it's still, it's still within the Muslim community. But what's interesting in terms of this research, asking people why they joined The majority of people in Somalia joined specifically for economical reasons. It was a way of employment. Um, Offering a person $50 a month is is very attractive in the the case of Somalia. But in Kenya, it was interesting that 87% of those who joined, joined for purely religious reasons. So it shows you a very strong commitment towards a religious cause. That's very different. In the case of Somalia. Yes, also, in Somalia is on the back foot. I think that they've lost tremendous territory. But if you look at it from an insurgency perspective, yes, they are losing. But one do not, need, you shouldn't focus, in, focus only on the insurgency part. One needs to also understand that it's basically start to employ and start to develop more into a, um, basically focusing on as more athletic warfare, where you don't need to hold territory. Um, and that is why it becomes so, so difficult to counter and so dangerous.
0: I mean, I suppose some of the big questions that 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 one is asking right now is what is the likeliness of an Al shabaab and Boko Haram collaboration? I feel like I'm 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 talking about musicians here, a collab, you know. But what is the what yeah. is the the real risk of of the East versus West collaborating and forming a, a bigger, I suppose, insurgency on the continent? Well, it's
2: quite interesting. Sometimes between Al shabaab and Boko Haram, it's also also will also include in Islamic Maghreb and even further to the east, uh Arcanism in the Arab Peninsula. I think that one shouldn't think that these organisations only focus their attention on on only the the area they they visit on in terms of 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 concentrating. Uh, they definitely share experiences. They definitely share um, knowledge, um, and so they've also been involved. I mean, for quite a few incidents where there's proof where people traveled, for example, from, from Nigeria to Somalia to be training. There's a number of cases where people from Somalia left for Yemen for training. So it's, there's definitely an interconnection between these organizations. It doesn't always come down to where's my allegiance to Qaeda or to, to ISIS. It comes down to, you know what, we share a common ideology and one could learn from one another.
0: Interesting that you bring up ideology. Tony on WeChat is saying, is al-Shabaab's ideology driven by religion as well as politics, or is it just one or the other? How, how are they gaining so much ground?
2: Well, the problem is it's purely politics, but I think they use religion to justify
0: their actions.
2: So the idea is ultimately to establish an Islamic state, so that is political, and they justify it, saying that we, you know what we would like to to go back to our roots and that is where the religious part comes in. and uh, so if if I need to say which one is the most important I would say it's it's purely political with a with a with a religious flavor
0: now also on WeChat, Ashton O'Brien says really don't think that South Africa is ready for these terrorist attacks let's bring it back home into South Africa for a second Um a lot of people in Kenya are blaming the Kenyan government for operations like USAL, Usalama Watch, you know, ostracizing the the Islamic community and specifically the Somalian Islamic community in Kenya. Uh, we know that there's, we have huge inequality in South Africa. We know that there's been massive xenophobic attacks, even now in the in the south, southern parts of KwaZulu Natal, huge uprisings there in terms of um, of African nationals being being attacked. Do we have the ingredients for potential you know extreme terrorism like like we're seeing in Kenya and in Nigeria? I would
2: say that you can't really compare Kenya with South Africa. It's a very different countries, but your assessment regarding uh, a growing frustration within the local populace uh, and it's not all, it's not basically based on the region it is also ethnicity it also plays a role. Um, so it definitely, definitely have the, the makings of becoming more of an issue. Uh, you need to understand that terrorism is a tactic. It is not associated with only one religious or ideology. It is a way to, to communicate a message uh, if people do not want to understand or do not want to listen to your, to your complaint. So I would, in, in summary, I would say that the possibility is always there. But I don't think one should think of it within the same context as al-Shabaab in Kenya or Somalia. It's two very, very different uh, situations.
0: A lot of people saying that there, there are all sorts of cells of al-Shabaab, Boko Haram and al-Qaeda and ISIS in South Africa. Are we the funders? I mean, we are we are one of the richest countries on the continent. Are we funding all these attacks? How, is, how, how does that work? What's the connection there?
2: Yeah, in in terms of assessing
0: the risk of terrorism, we normally make a distinction between
2: being a target or being a safe haven. But I think that not only South Africa, but I think the entire southern Africa, is definitely considered to be a safe haven for some of these organisations. And the reason for that is because we we tend to think we're completely isolated. Um, if I speak to government officials within South Africa, not. Not people on the ground doing, doing the work, but, but more on the decision-making level. There's this perception that, you know what, this will never happen to us. Mm. Um, Al-Shabaab is far away. Bukharong is far away. Uh, why would they want to target South Africa? And I think that is the reason why South Africa is so vulnerable, because we simply don't look, uh, towards what is actually happening. And you need intelligence for that. You can't, you can't, you can't work blind. Um, and if you do not, do not have a budget uh, in terms of collecting your intelligence, you're not going to have a picture. And I think that's, that, that's a crucial cycle that we simply do not know. But I would say in terms of, of what we've seen, especially with the arrest of, of the teenager now on the way to Syria, that there's definitely definitely a growing, growing commitment. And I think it comes down to identity. Uh, people do not identify being South African, for example. I think identity is more
0: towards religion or, in some cases, identity. Interesting. interesting. I mean, that, that uh, 15-year-old was a little bit of a wake-up call, wasn't it? I mean, no one was expecting that. Uh, you spoke about the inequality driving um, membership in, in Somalia, but it's very different in, in for example, Kenya and, and, I suppose, now South Africa, where where it's being oh. driven by social media, isn't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and And I think that what what you need to understand is yes social media basically was the bridge, but the question is why would a teenager want to go to a block like that basically is kind of focusing on on the recruitment? There must be something happening on the on a local level that I think we we tend to 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 completely forget. we think it's it's only social media that is a start that's a trigger. But I would say that there's something deeper. And I think it comes down to, again, what I said earlier, identity. People, you need to ask yourself, especially teenagers, um, it, it's a difficult period in any, in any person's life. They don't really know where you fit in. And unfortunately, that is exactly what uh, people that do the recruitment uh, use to their advantage. But it's not people see themselves as, in this case, you know what, I, I have to go and be taught of something bigger and something bigger is not in South Africa something bigger is somewhere else yes. and that is something
0: I think we need to focus on and, before we let you go I mean we, we're very focused on one side of the argument and the debate you know Al-Shabaab Boko Haram ISIS is bad news they're bad people is, is there another side to the coin? Are they, are they doing anything right? Is, is there some part of the ideology that's worthwhile exploring that's, that's attracting these young people? Or is it just that they are so, such a incredibly intense group? It's like a football co- club effectively. You know, you get the colors, you get the songs, everything happens uh, in, in one, in unison. Um is there anything good that's coming out of these guys? Well, this is going to
2: sound weird. It's going to sound terrible, and, and I hope people do understand what I'm going to say now, is that I would, I would take it to, the, to a point where if I look at the ideology behind any terrorist organization, I can't I can understand why it happened. As I said earlier, terrorism is, is, is basically a tactic. You have to understand what was the reasons be, behind the tactic. Uh, in the case, for example, Al-Qaeda. The question was that, you know what, we live in in countries that's supposed to be Islamic but our governments are co- completely under control of the West. Are they corrupt? and they don't look at our at our interests. And we have to replace them with something that we feel represents our interests. Um that I would understand. I, I completely I completely understand it. If you go to even a organisation like the LRA in Uganda. Um, it's basically linked to uh, a division between North and South. People in North felt completely disregarded. Um, not, uh, you see the same thing happening now with Boko Haram in Nigeria as well. So that frustration, ultimately, I do understand. I do not agree with the tactic, but I definitely can understand the reasons behind these organizations. And I think we need to respect that.
0: And we have to focus
2: on those triggers in finding a solution for
0: ultimately. Anneli, you, you seem like a wealth of knowledge on this. I'm speaking to Anneli Buerta. She's from the Institute for Strategic Studies based here in Pretoria. They have offices all over the African continent. Anneli, if we wanted to find out more information about what you're speaking about, where would we go? Well, you're welcome
2: to visit our website. It's uh, the Institute for Security Studies. It's uh, org. And people are all welcome not only if looking, to look at the tourism aspect of it, but also the other areas that the ISIS do focus on. And then, ultimately, if there's additional questions, people are really welcome to contact me on my email address. It's all on the ISIS website, and I will gladly answer
0: additional questions. So it's the ISS, not ISIS, website. Thank you so much for joining us, Ali Berta. ISIS. No, <laughs> ISIS. <laughs> uh, she's from the Institute for Strategic Studies, talking a little bit about the terrorism on the african continent how at risk south africa is thank you so much for joining us listen if you wanted your comments we would love to hear from them uh at WeChat. there's a whole bunch of people that are sending us messages i'll get to some of those as well and on twitter as well at yebo underscore l-e-v-y is south africa at risk of a al-shabab boko ram isis attack uh a lot of people saying no, but hey, there could be some question marks. We are funding some of these terrorist attacks. We're going to be speaking to a head of the Somalian community here in South Africa. His name is Amit Sheikh. Next. That is the amazing Chris Brown featuring uh Tiger. AL on Friday. It has just gone 38 minutes past nine. Hey, we've got a big lineup coming up. We've got, uh, the sex show, O'Neill. They're all here on Clip Central. You gotta stay tuned and, and keep listening to the show. Of course, we're speaking about, uh, the Garissa attacks and terrorism on the African continent. What does it mean for South Africa? A lot of people on Twitter are going crazy saying, oh, there's no ways, absolutely no ways we'll have any kind of attacks here in South Africa. Regan Vintfachel says, I don't think South Africa can be under threat as our democracy allows everyone freedom to practice their religion and political views. Uh, Most of these terrorist attacks are based on religion or rather a lame excuse because all religions teach that that murder or killing of humans is a sin, that you can't kill in the name of Allah because the scripture says, Love your neighbor, brother. Basically, everyone... Can love yourself. Uh, so really interesting comments coming through and keep them coming on WeChat and Twitter. Uh, of course, uh, we've heard from Anneli Berta. She is at the Institute for Strategic Studies talking a little bit about these, these terrorist groups and how they're getting funded. A lot of the cells are being funded by South Africa, a safe haven uh, for these extreme groups. We're now uh, on the line is a very interesting gentleman. His name is Amir Sheikh. He is the chairperson of the Somali Community Board. Of course, uh, al-Shabaab originally came from the Somalian district. And so a lot of people now look to Somalians around the continent and go, hmm, are you part of this? Are you part of this extremist group? What's going on? And, of course, that's completely unfair. Uh, He joins me on the line now. Amir, good morning to you. And thank you so much for joining us.
3: Good morning to you, Andrew. And thanks. And good to your listeners.
0: Amir, Somalians are often seen as a soft target in South Africa when it comes to the xenophobic attacks, uh, uh, the business owners. Do you think that the events in Kenya eight days ago will affect the Somalian community here in South Africa and their safety? Uh,
3: Thank you very much, Andrew. It is true, actually, Somalis have been the brunt of xenophobic attacks in South Africa. And even beside being at least at the risk of always the businesses being attacked, there is this term also that has been coined now, that anything that happens in the townships or if the locals want to actually venture their frustrations, the terminology that is used of late is actually Somalis. or so i Somalian, considering the fact that Somalis are not the only African or Asian migrants who are actually operating within the townships. But coming back to the Somalis and the attacks in Kenya, now I may say it because we haven't got that fear that it may attack, but the fear is at least the Somalis the ethnic groups in Kenya who have actually been on the past even victims of extrajudicial killings within the Kenyan administration. The state orchestrated actually matters like the Wagala massacre, the Garissa massacre of 1980 the Ogala massacre of 1984, the Melka Marys, and all this may be victimized. And we have seen in the last three or four days, the police actually, mostly in the suburb that is mainly hosting Somalis, obviously, indiscriminate arrest and detentions of the Somalis. And the worst we fear now is that at least another concentration camp like a Sarani may be opened, which will be actually a complete violation of actually refugees in countries Considering the fact that South Africa, Kenya is a country that is signatory to both the Geneva Convention on Refugees and it has also ratified the Organization of African Union Convention on Refugees too.
0: I mean, obviously we saw operations like Usalama Watch, uh, really ostracized the Somalian community in, in Kenya. It's, you know, Al-Shabaab is clearly not a Somalian nationalist group. They're, they're not all Somalians. Uh, but th- there's a, a large part of them that are Somalians. Why do you think so many uh, Somalians join al-Shabaab?
3: The fact of the matter is, first of all, Shabaab is not Somalis. Shabaab may be based in Somalia, but Shabaab is an ideology-driven things, And the supporters or actually the sympathizers or the members of the Shabaab are actually the global members. You can have South Africans, you have Americans, Caucasians, you have got black Asians and all that. Similarly to actually the Al-Qaeda. But there are two factors that will actually drive actually a person joining the Shabab. For a Somali national in Somalia, what will drive him one of it is actually one, the fear. There is a sentiment actually that you either be with us or with the infidel government. So a youngster in Somalia will either have to be on the server side, either be with the government side, and actually defending the country and explaining the will of the nation from that angle or if he is caught in an area that Shabab is predominant, so he has to actually support for fear of actually being attacked or killed, considering the fact that if you are not with them, the consideration is that actually you are with actually the, the, the government, which they see as an infidel government that is supported by the Western. But one of the major things that will drive Somalis, a Somali in actually Somalia to join is actually the economic drive, as Anneli Poza have put it, or $100 to a Somali in Somalia is a lot of money. So nobody will actually like to say such a thing. So the biggest is actually the fear followed by the economic gain, which they see at least. By joining Shabab, they will empower themselves. They will have actually the power to exercise uh, what they want, and also they will actually, in terms of monetary, they will gain.
0: Amir, one, uh, one of the big question marks at the moment is South African, you know, is these cells are in South Africa and they're being funded by South African groups and South Africans. Uh, is there any kind of validity in that amongst the Somalian community? Are you aware of, of Somalians living in South Africa funding groups like Al-Shabaab?
3: There may be possibility. But you know these things: the funding, the recruitment is not something that is actually done on the outside. It is something that is actually done in actually the closest circles and among friends and actually sympathetic But uh, we have. And I think the, in the last actually year, there have been a lot of talks about South Africa being a hub of actually international terrorists and fugitives. And that South Africa being the host, at least this is where the money is channeled from, this is where at least even the operation, but our government has been in denial for some time, even after that intercepted call in 2009 in Kailicha, between a Somali national and Al-Shabaab members, and also the threat that came prior to the World Cup from the Al-Qaeda. Our government was quick actually to denounce everything and say that no, no, the country is actually in peace. We have actually secured our borders and everything. We're considering the fact that South African borders are porous, and any actually illegal goods and person can enter easily. So there may be denial in government, but I cannot rule out the possibility of actually having international funders from South Africa, considering the fact that South Africa may not actually see an imminent attack, but it may be actually a hub, for recruitment of youngsters in all this international, it may be a hub where they send their money and use their intelligence.
0: It's interesting you say that because uh, it was quite concerning the other day. In Mayfair, here in Johannesburg, the hub of, of Johannesburg, uh, there was a group of, of youngsters with an ISIS flag driving down the main road, Mint Street, I believe, of, of Mayfair. Um I mean, it's it's alive and well, isn't it? It
3: is actually worrying. Up to now, it is speculative, and uh, people are really speculating. No one wants to come out and actually say, I have seen the car myself. I have actually noted down the registration. But to us as a community, especially the migrant community, it's a worrying factor because South Africa, even though they are in denial, is not a banana republic. And it is actually really a provocative to the local Muslim community who are majority in this area that four youngsters can actually have the guts to drive within the street of Mayfair, where at least the central Johannesburg and the Pristines are actually within a a radius of less than one kilometer, drive freely actually waving a flag that actually is purported to belong to ISIS. To us, actually, as the Somali community, it is a very uh, hurtful thing, and we fear for reprisal. But right now, I think the, the matter has been reported to the law authority and it is being investigated. And we hope at least our law enforcement, considering the fact that within the main road in Mint, which also fall in Albertina Sisulu, there are CCTVs on the streets. And at least maybe the registration number of the car may actually be found. And therefore, actually, that may be a lead that at least can actually lead the law enforcement to get who these perpetrators or the culprits are. And lastly, it is something at least to warrant to an extent that uh, if that happens to be true, it is a clear indication that we are for them saying that we are here and we can actually come down because recruitment is something that is done not in the open. There are no recruitment agencies, but at least this is, first of all, it is kind and it is a warrant factor.
0: Mm. Amir Sheikh, you chairperson of the Somalia Community Board. Thank you so much for joining us. You're um, welcome, Andrew. We hope that all Somalians are safe in South Africa, and uh, good luck to you uh, in the up-and-coming days.
3: Thank you for giving us the use and thank you very much, Andrew.
0: Thank you so much. That was uh, Amir Sheikh. He's the chairperson of the Somali Community Board. I mean, worrying times. We 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 heard that in Mayfair, right here on uh, in the streets of Johannesburg, there there are people with ISIS flags, young people. It might be a joke. It might be nothing more than that but it does showcase as Amir said that you know the government is so busy worried about a whole bunch of other things uh, that we might not be focused on the things that matter, which is a potential terrorist infiltration here in South Africa. Now, of course, uh, a country that has been infiltrated quite severely is Kenya. That's obviously where the Gorissa attacks, we saw the Westgate Mall happen a, a few years ago as well. Uh, Mwenda Njoka joins us on the line from Kenya. He is the PR, uh, Ambassador Kenya, Interior Minister, uh, also a former journalist. Mwenda, thank you so much for joining us here on Cliff Central. Good morning to you.
4: Good morning to
0: A lot of uh, speculation, allegations around government and what government didn't do uh, with regards to these Garissa attacks. Do you, th- do you think it's fair that government could have done more?
4: Yeah. You know, in any situation like that, uh, of course, the best would have been for the government to prevent an attack from happening. But uh, unfortunately, it happened. And uh, under the circumstances, we did the best we could. Of course, we could have done better by being there much earlier, but under uh, the circumstances and under the given the distance between Nairobi and Garissa, we did the best that we could have done.
0: Is it a little bit concerning that you know we we saw Al Shabaab being predominantly a Somalian outfit that we now see that you know Kenyan sons and daughters of, of officials are involved in this Al Shabaab attack against Kenyans. Uh.
4: Okay. So what has been one of the biggest challenges is that we share a very long border with Somalia and uh, unlike Kenya. other country in the region, we have about a thousand kilometers of the border, and in a in a section that is not uh, that doesn't have a government control. So that makes it easier for infiltration. And then also the fact that we also have uh, Somali, Kenyan Somalis, and Somali Somalis, and cross borders. So it becomes very difficult sometimes to know who is who.
0: Now, John Gitongo uh, recently said on a South African radio station here on Cliff Central, actually, that um, that the biggest, uh, one of the biggest problems that Kenya faces is the reason they're so susceptible to these attacks is because there's so much corruption going on in the Kenyan government. Um, is that a fair statement? Do you think that that's... Uh, no,
4: it isn't a fair. You know, people are very fond of giving uh, criticism without offering solutions. The Dongo has been in government. he been—I uh, don't know how much they've been doing in his time to help deal with that. But uh, I'll tell you, corruption is there. That is a fact. But it's not the only problem that we have. That is uh, contributing to insecurity. There are many other factors that contribute.
0: What are those, What are some of those factors? I mean, let let us know how Kenya is going to, you know, hopefully um, prevent this from happening.
4: Um, okay, well, what we are doing in terms of uh, trying to prevent this kind of situation. One, we, are, we have a very elaborate police reform process in, uh, ongoing. We also have a process of recruitment of additional police officers. And we are also dealing with corruption. Already as it is. We, we must be aware that several cabinet secretaries and uh, uh, principal secretaries, are, those, those are senior government officers, have been removed from office and they are facing challenges of corruption. So clearly the government is taking all the necessary action to deal with corruption as an issue. But the other thing that we are doing to ensure that the country is safe, is also, besides the political form, is also re our police and also reorienting them to deal with the new challenges. So these are not the challenges that we were used to dealing with 10 years ago. So we have to find new solutions and new ways of dealing with these kind of challenges of uh, terrorism and, uh, other, uh, and other modern crimes.
0: We spoke to uh, Anneli Buerta. She's from the Institute of Strategic Relations earlier. Um, a, a little bit about uh, why people join Al-Shabaab. Uh, a lot of people that she interviewed from Al-Shabaab say that it's it's actually a part of the counter-terrorism that's going on uh, from the Kenyan government themselves. What, what, what is Kenyan's stance on that in terms of this counter-terrorism moving troops uh, into the border of Somalia and attacking, you know, with, with you know, guns and okay,
4: tanks me, and so on. Let me address the issue of uh, why they join. You know, uh, I mean, Sometimes there are people who are deviant, the social deviant, who will join organizations that are meant to give them a meaning, whatever you do. But uh, the issue of uh, the argument that our counter-terrorism measures are making the people join Al Shabaab, I think that is not that is not a valid argument. Because uh, we have, besides the using the building, we, we have various uh, measures uh, against uh, terrorism. And I don't see how our counterterrorism is dealing with them because, again, we are dealing with the criminals and we are dealing with the people who are not coming in peace. So how are you supposed to deal with them? So it's not the argument that our counterterrorism measures are creating more al-Shabaab. I don't think it's a valid argument.
0: And a lot of uh, schools in the north are, are, of, of Kenya are very concerned at the moment that they might be next. Al-Shabaab uh, has promised to do more. Uh, what is uh, Kenya's stance on this? How are they going to protect you know, a, a lonesome high school or primary school from attacks of Al-Shabaab? Of
4: oh, okay. well, what you're doing also, we are creating awareness because uh, at the end of the day, there is no country in the world that can guarantee, uh, can guarantee 100% that you have a terrorism attacks. There is no country, and Kenya is uh, not one of them either. But uh, what we can do is uh, to ensure water. Rather, what we are doing is to create awareness to ensure that people are aware of their surroundings. To ensure that people, citizens, also report when they see suspicious characters or suspicious uh, Because uh, Over time, Kenyans have also because for a long time we had known peace and people became very complacent, and that is the price we are paying for that. So awareness is one of the things that we're doing, and also enhancing security, creating more presence of police officers and other security agencies have have a higher presence within, whether it is in institutions of learning, in shopping malls, and other areas that we think are high-risk areas.
0: Mwenda, lastly, uh, before we let you go, um, a lot of discussions here in South Africa about how there, there's a lot of funding going on from South African cells into places like Somalia and Kenya for Al-Shabaab and for Boko Haram. What are governments doing uh, between themselves to try and uh, stamp out this, this terrorism on the African continent?
4: Okay, uh, what it is do, do is, uh, as you may be aware, there are a number of protocols that have been signed between us. Uh, Kenya within this region, I think even South Africa, possibly a number of protocols in terms of cooperation, whether it is a, in terms of money laundering, in terms of movement of uh, resources that are used to enha- are used to facilitate uh, terrorism. So there is a, a lot of uh, cross-border cooperation that is uh, aimed at enhancing security within the region and build. And also, of course, we're talking about also intelligence cooperation, uh, security cooperation, and also using organisations and using. Uh, international organizations like African Union to have a, a broader based approach to dealing with these problems because so the, uh, terrorism is not a is not a country's problem, it's actually a regional and an international problem.
0: Wendan Joker, you are part of the Kenyan Interior Ministry. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we wish you all the best in fighting El Shabaab and hopefully keeping the Kenyan safe and uh, our condolences go out to all Kenyans affected by the aggressor attacks. Thank
4: you. Thank you, thank you too, and I hope you guys don't get any problems of this
0: Bye bye. <laughs> we hope so too. Thank you so much. That was Mwenda Njoka. He is he's from uh, the Institute of uh, uh, the, the Kenyan Institute uh, for PR, uh, talking a little bit about uh, what was going on in the Interior Ministry. We've got a caller online who wants to speak uh, about uh, these attacks. Good morning to you. Mm-hmm. What? Is, Oh, you see, there you go. You see, this is interesting. Uh, <laughs> people calling. Okay, he's online now. Producer's just speaking and, and finding out if uh, we, in fact, have this caller online. Can you hear me? Cliff Central, good morning. No, not there, but uh, if you do want to hear more about what's happened, we are on Twitter at Yebo underscore L-E-V-Y. Check out uh, the, the website as well, cliffcentral.com, to find out uh, if you missed part of the show. We've been speaking to Deborah Patter. She's the CBS uh, journalist for Africa. She was uh, in Garissa just a few days ago talking a little bit about what she saw. Of course, we spoke to uh, Anneli um, Boita. She is from... She's from a very interesting place It's uh, called the uh, Institute for Strategic Studies She's uh, actually gone and gone and interviewed a whole bunch of El who i've lost my tongue i've lost my voice here and uh, of course we just spoke to Mwenga njoka who is part of the kenyan uh, information industry uh, ministry about what they are trying to do in kenya it is the sex show up next it's just gone uh, three minutes to 10 o'clock thank you so much for listening my partner in crime rory sang shabalala will be back with me next week as we discuss a whole bunch of issues around domestic workers have yourself a fantastic friday if you've just come back to work it's the weekend again thank goodness the sex show is up next with uh and sexy spider in the meantime here is zhu paradise awaits have yourself a lovely friday ciao, ciao.
1: ClipCentral.com.